Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 10, 46 through 52. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. They came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Well, the last couple of weeks we have been following the Gospel of Mark as Jesus and his followers are making their way uh, towards Jerusalem. It is uh, winding down in the Gospel of Mark. We're getting towards the very end, and actually the, the passage after this will be Jesus' um, Jesus's triumphal entry. I can't say Jesus's. I guess, uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem where uh, we, we kind of begin the last days until, uh, until Easter, uh, the Good Friday, the cross, and the resurrection. Well, all throughout this, um, Jesus has been having a conversation with his disciples and with the, the religious leaders that are all around him. And, and Mark has used this road that Jesus and his followers have been on as a, as a metaphor for, well, for discipleship, for um, for growing and following in the way of Christ. And so all along, um, it's been this journey with questions and answers and uh, conversations that Jesus has had with his disciples and with the religious leaders. Uh, oftentimes, though, that the religious leaders um, and the disciples, too, have no idea what it is that Jesus is saying. Uh, they, they just, they completely miss it. Um, like we said last week, they, they have a really specific vision about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, and uh, so far, all the things that Jesus has been saying isn't quite that way. Uh, he's been telling them multiple times, his disciples for sure, that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. He's going to be tortured and handed over and betrayed. But then they said, don't wait, he's going to raise from the dead. Well, they don't like this too much because if you're a Messiah, you're not necessarily supposed to die in Jesus' day. You're supposed to like, be victorious. That's what Messiahs do, anointed people in the name of God, that's really what Messiah means. Uh, and so they're, they're not quite tracking with him. And, and his disciples have different conversations about like who's the greatest disciple, who's going to take over for Jesus and lead the cause when Jesus dies. And, and Jesus just is not going to have any of those kinds of things. Uh, they are, in a way, the disciples and the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders for sure, they are spiritually blind. Uh, they have so been convinced that their vision of what God's salvation looks like for the world is correct, that they have missed the opportunity to see God's greatest revelation of who he is and what he's come to do 
in the person and work of Jesus. The disciples, uh, we, we kind of can maybe, we can give the, uh, the Pharisees a little bit of a break because, well, they haven't been following Jesus in the same kind of way as the disciples. Their relationship is more antagonistic. But the disciples, they should know because they've been spending every day with him, literally walking in the way of Jesus. We'll give them a break, too, because by the end, they'll figure things out. Um, after the resurrection, they'll, they'll all make sense to them, and they'll be the pillars in the beginnings of the church. Well, uh, their journey is coming to a close, and they're, they're reaching the city of Jericho, which is about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. And they're making their way through the town, and uh, they're on the road, and they're out, going out, uh, out of town, out, heading on on their way. And by the side of a road is a man named Bartimaeus. And uh, here we go. They came to Jericho as his, and as his disciples, as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Uh, now, um, we've already said that in Mark, this, this road, the way, has been a metaphor for people learning how to walk like Jesus. Uh, learning how to walk in the same kind of way, to, to live and love uh, in, the, in the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And so it's significant. Uh, sometimes we kind of glance over these words like on uh, in the Bible and just kind of pass over. But it's significant um, that they see him and they see him beside the road. I, I think that his position beside the road is, is cluing us into the fact that this man, Bartimaeus, uh, He's on the outside. Well, he's on the outside because he's blind anyway. And if you weren't fully whole, you kind of got kicked to the side of society. And, and uh, well, if you were blind, it was assumed that you had done something or someone in your family had done something uh, sinful, and this was God's punishment on you. So the man is, is on the side of the road. He is not part of what Jesus is doing, or at least not what part of the Pharisees would think that he is doing. Uh, but he's on the side of the, the road. Um, but he knows, I think he knows what's going on. And, and we'll say this, I'll, I'll say the end before we get there. I think even though Bartimaeus is blind, he sees quite a bit better than the Pharisees or the religious leaders. Uh, we'll get there in, in a minute. But um, uh, he, uh, he's sitting there and he sees him and he asks who's, who's passing by and they're like Jesus and he starts yelling out, Jesus, son of, uh, son, of God, have mer- son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, now uh, David's rule, so you guys remember who David is, King David. He's like arguably Israel's greatest king. He unified the nation. He built uh, the city of uh, Jerusalem, became the capital. Uh, he never got to build the temple, but his son did. And, and so he is, he is a, he's like Israel's best and greatest king. And so there was always this hope within Israel that God was going to rise up a Messiah who would be from the line of David, right? That's kind of all throughout the Old Testament. And so that comes with a very specific image about what a king from the line of David might look like. If you remember your Old Testament history, like David was a warrior king. Uh, he, he came in and he, he, just, he liberated Israel so many times and, and fought the bad guys and kicked them out. So Bartimaeus, by, by calling him uh, son of David, kind of conjures up this very specific image about who Jesus is. 
Now, this would have been, been common, but uh, they would have expected Jesus to, to be a king who was going to be a, uh, a, a warrior king, to come and to save Israel. But he kind of flips things on the edge. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I, I think that he understands the nature and purpose of Jesus' kingdom in a better way than, than those around him, that he understands that it is God's mercy which is one of the most important things and parts of what Jesus is doing. It is God's mercy, Jesus' mercy, that is why he is doing what he is doing. Jesus is coming and living and giving himself up as a sacrifice for all out of his mercy and love and grace. It is in mercy that Jesus heals people. It is in mercy that he has cast out demons and fed 5,000, and all these other things. Uh, This is the the nature of God's kingdom. This is the way of Jesus. It is the way of mercy. Well, Jesus ends up calling him, and uh, Bartimaeus doesn't stop. He keeps yelling, blind Bartimaeus. He's like, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, Fun fact, I was in a Easter play one time when I was a teenager, and I got to play blind Bartimaeus. And my only line was, son of David, have mercy on me. And I got to like, run on the stage very awkwardly, because I'm awkward, and yell this line, and then run off the stage. I don't even think they healed me. I don't, I don't remember that part of it. All I remember is like, awkwardly yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And yeah. Okay, so he, he's yelling this on and on. And so finally, Jesus relents, and he's like, bring him to me. And so, like we said with the kids, he, he comes up, and Jesus is like, now, what do you want me to do for you? Like, this is a stupid question, right? It's obvious. It's obvious that this guy is blind. Jesus probably saw him sitting there beside the road with his, his cloak all laid out, and maybe some people had already thrown some, some money in there so that he could have a little bit of existence because this was his only way of, of supporting himself. I, I think we miss a couple of things that are important in what Bartimaeus does as he gets up and goes to Jesus, though. He uh, throws off his cloak and he runs to Jesus. Well, as, as much as he can. And uh, we'll, we'll go that way. There we go. Uh, two things are important here. One, his cloak was his most, uh, most important possession that he had. In fact, it was so significant that your cloak, so it's like your outside garment, the thing that kept you warm and, and, and the water off and all those kinds of things. Like the cloak was the one thing that a creditor could not take from you if you were in debt to them. Like it was, it was your, the, the last line of defense that you had to, to be able to eke out an existence. The second thing is it's probably the thing in which people, like we said, threw coins to him as he sat by the side of the road and begged. Uh, not only it's what kept him warm at night in the cold days, but it, it was his only source of income. And he takes this and he throws it off, just leaving it behind. I wonder if Mark wants us to contrast Bartimaeus with the rich young man from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, You know, the one that that comes and asks Jesus, uh, you know, what must I do? And he's like, you should love the Lord God with all your mind. No, that's a different one. He says, uh, well, the one he ends up saying, sell all your stuff and come follow me. And the rich young man goes away uh, sad because he had lots and lots of stuff. 
I wonder if Mark wants us to, constant, uh, to, to contrast the rich young man with this man who has nothing. It won't be the last time that, that Mark ends up contrasting those who have with, with those who, ha- who doesn't, who don't have in his gospel. But where this rich man was not willing to give up all that he had and come follow Jesus. This poor blind man, uh, who, who maybe was even more dependent on his cloak and the meager bits of stuff that he earned from that, threw off all that he had and followed Jesus. We're asking him to to make make him whole again, see again. So what do you want me to do for you, Jesus says. The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. And uh, so Jesus responds, go, your faith has made you well. Um, So Jesus just says a word, and the man is, uh, is healed. Go, and your faith has made you well. Uh, so I, we don't know exactly what happens to Bartimaeus after this. Uh, and uh, the very last section of this, of this passage, Mark tells us, immediately re- he regained his sight and followed him in on the way. Now, prepositions are important. I would have never said that uh, many years ago, because... I could hardly tell you what a preposition was for a long time. Uh, but prepositions on and in. So the, the word that Mark, that's translated, in, in, at least in the, the, the passage that we read, the translation, as on could very well as be translated in. Uh, and I think there's a subtle difference between on and in. I, I think maybe on might say that, that he gets up, and maybe he goes gets his cloak, I don't know. And he begins to follow Jesus towards Jerusalem on the same path that Jesus is going. Uh, and we don't know what might happen to him. Maybe he's so thankful for his sight that he, he joins this movement that Jesus and his followers have started. But I think if we, if we follow, if, if we translate it in, and maybe I'm picking, nitpicking here. If we translate it in, I think it he, means that maybe he follows in Jesus' way. Uh, not that he literally picks up his stuff and follows Jesus to Jerusalem, but that he begins to shape his life after the, the merciful God of Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that in his thankfulness that he, that he leaves all that he has and begins to walk in the way of Jesus. The way that will lead, for Jesus anyway, to his suffering and his death. Uh, and that may not always be the case for us or all of Jesus' followers. It, it was for a lot of them in, in the early days of Christianity. But the way of Jesus is, at the very least, is self-giving love for the sake of those around us. It is loving God with all that we have so that we might love our neighbor as ourselves. I think Bartimaeus is taking up Mark's road of intentional discipleship where he's learning, he's learning with his newfound vision to see Jesus for exactly who he is and to follow in the way. Part of the tension uh, that I think is present throughout all of Mark's gospel here is the tension between those who are supposed to be able to see and follow Jesus as the Messiah and those who can't. 
there's this tension between uh, the religious establishment in Israel, who, as we said at the beginning, they, they have a very specific vision of who Jesus is and what this Messiah should come and do, and they are so very certain that their vision is correct that they are blind to seeing what Jesus is actually doing. And then on the other side of this tension, you have all of these other people like, uh, like a blind man or um, Gentiles even who, who, who understand more fully, people who are of no account in, in society at all that understand more fully who it is that Jesus is. Now, while he's the son of David, he's, he's, not the, he's not the warrior Messiah that's coming. He is the Messiah of mercy and forgiveness, of grace of restoration and redemption. I think, one of the, I think one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves, and I think, I think we have to put ourselves in a character's shoes here today. We have to ask ourselves, are we more like the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders and that we're so certain that we have our idea of what Jesus is doing we're missing what Jesus is truly about. Or are we like Bartimaeus? Are we, are we just so confident that we need something else? That, that in our frailty and our humanity that, that we are, well, that we are blind and we need, well, we need a guide to help us to walk in the way that we should go. I, I think those, those are the, the questions that we have to to do that, and I think that how, how we determine if we are, well, I guess that's the question, right? The question is how do we determine if we are spiritually blind or not? Uh, I think maybe, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we encountered a father whose child was possessed by a demon, and he came to Jesus to bring, uh, to get this guy, this demon cast out of his son. The disciples couldn't do it. Jesus finally comes and and. and he offers to do this thing, and, and the father's response is, I believe, help my unbelief. I wonder if our first steps in, in asking ourselves if we are spiritually blind or not is asking God for help to help us truly understand, like to, to truly like give up the fact that maybe we don't have it all understood. Or that we want to believe that all the stuff we hear about Jesus being love and forgiveness and not retaliating. We want to believe that that's the case, but we just can't, we just can't do it. So I wonder if that's the prayer that we should play, pray. I believe, help my unbelief. Or maybe we have to confess that we fall and pray to the sin of certainty, like the Pharisees had. Maybe we have to begin to pray and confess that we don't have it all figured out. Here's, here's what I know. I know that the best way, the best way to love our neighbor as ourselves is not to come to them and say, if you do A, B, and C, then, then you'll be happy and blessed and God will love you. Or that this is, this is exactly who it is that, that, that God is. But, but to come beside people who are struggling and to say, I, I think this is the way that Jesus is calling us. This is the life that Christ is calling us to live in, in faithfulness and love. 
I don't know, have all the answers for you, but I'm willing to stand beside you and walk with you on the way or in the way. That we love our brothers and sisters everywhere as Christ has loved us. Not when we're so sure of what we think that we miss what Jesus is saying to us. But that we take a posture of solidarity, solidarity and walking alongside of others. I don't know if that makes sense to you, and I've, I've kind of touched on this a couple of weeks before, but I think there's a whole generation of folks out there who have witnessed uh, others who are just so certain that their brand of Christianity is exactly right. Uh, that they themselves have said, well, if that's the way, I don't want to walk in it. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think that's been the church's posture along, uh, for a long time. Uh, one of certainty. Not necessarily ours, maybe. But we've got it all figured out, and you just need to come to us to get the answers. I don't think that's going to work anymore. Because I don't think it does. I think if we want to be people who are truly walking on the way, if we are in the way, following the way of Jesus Christ, then we will be a folks who love our neighbor as ourselves through walking with them, not having all of the answers, but committing to seeking the answers together. It's a question of whether we are spiritually blind or not. And I think if I'm going to err at all, I'm going to err on the side of confessing that I don't see quite as well, well as I should. That, that I am blind and I am need of Christ in his great mercy and love to restore my sight. that if we're going to be a church that truly loves God and our neighbor as ourselves, that, well, that's the posture that we have to take to say that more often than not, we are blind. And in our humility, we ask that Christ might help us to see in the way that we should go. Well, uh, we're going we're gonna to pray here. And as we've done the last couple of weeks, it's going to be just a, a time of guided reflection, and I'll pray, and then I'll ask you to do a couple of things. Uh, so let's do that. Dear Lord, we thank you for your, your story and your message to us. Uh, we thank you that in, in the long road that Mark has described for us, uh, filled with characters who just don't get it, filled with Jesus repeating himself so many times. Uh, we thank you that in, in the midst of that story and in the midst of our own denseness and our spiritual blindness that you have remained faithful to us. That you have not said to us, no, this is where you get off. I don't want you following me anymore. But you are, you are committed in steadfast love and faithfulness to bring us along with you on your journey.
Lord, we ask that as we continue to follow you, that we might, well, that you might undo our spiritual blindness so that we might see. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.